0: on local now, channel five twenty-five. Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. If you hadn't opened the church in January, I don't think I would have been saved. So said a man not long ago after he attended services at a Waterloo, Ontario church in Canada. This man had a pornography addiction and had been living by his own description as a whitewashed tomb for many years. But when Pastor Jacob Rayome invited the Waterloo community to church on January 22, 2021, in defiance, it should be said, of a public order that the church not meet in a group larger than 10. Numerous community members showed up, among them this man. This man later reported to the church staff that he wished to be baptized. This was the sixth baptism request that Trinity Bible Chapel received following its decision to stay open in order to minister to the people of Waterloo. Waterloo, as a region, has been in the news over this very issue. Pastor Jacob Rayom has preached numerous sermons about how Trinity Bible Chapel is seeking to honor the government as much as it can, and yet Rayom and his fellow elders believe that in obedience to Jesus Christ, according to Rayom, uh, according to the crown rights of King Jesus, the church must stay open and must minister to people who desire the Word of God, who are being confronted by God in different forms in their sin. And so Ra'om and his fellow elders have decided that they need to stay open. On Sunday, February 27th, according to a blog on the Trinity Bible Chapel website, the church baptized 13 people, according to the blog, some of whom traced their conversion to those weeks in January, especially January 24th. This is absolutely beautiful. This is what happens when the church is open, this is what happens when sinners can come to our assemblies and hear the gospel being preached. People will get saved. People will come under conviction of sin. People will be born again by trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. People will hear about the cross of Christ, that Jesus has died to cleanse us of all our sin and to absorb all the Father's just wrath. On our behalf, that he did so when he died on the cross. People will hear about the resurrection. They will hear that the cross actually isn't the end of the story, miraculous and wondrous as it is, but that Jesus rose from the grave three days after he died. And in his rising, he brings all those who are his to life. That resurrection on our part is secured, of course, when saving faith dawns through God given regeneration. And yet, the resurrection secures our resurrection and our vindication as well before the great white throne of judgment. This is what we proclaim. This is what we as Christians love. This is what we celebrate. This is the theme of our daily song. This is the the rule of our life. These truths have claimed us, these truths shape us. This is what we get to proclaim and declare and announce as christians whether we're a pastor an elder a deacon or not this is this is our song this is our hope this is our life christ is our life and all of this is designed by god to be proclaimed in the weekly gatherings of local churches across the world not just some local churches not just the ones that are really big and impressive and people want to turn out to in the tens of thousands of numbers Local churches that are humble, local churches that are small, local churches that are medium sized, local churches, yes, that are big. God determines the size of the church, but what makes a church a church is not its size or its handling of certain issues that the culture wants it to read in a certain way. What makes a church a church is that it preaches the word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. One such church is Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo, Ontario, led by Jacob Ray Om, which is seeing numerous people coming to faith in the midst of the Canadian lockdown, which is having people request, think about this, brothers and sisters, request to be baptized at a time when many churches, frankly, uh, for, for a variety of conscience issues and people coming to different convictions on certain matters are not yet open. And yet there are people in some churches effectively knocking on the door and saying, I want to declare my allegiance to Jesus Christ. I want to say to this church and the watching world that I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I want to be baptized as a Christian. I want to publicly declare that I have broken with the world and that I am following King Jesus all the way to the end. This is what Pastor Will Sherman of Trinity Bible Chapel reported online about this gentleman I mentioned just a few minutes ago at the beginning of the podcast who indicated his desire to be baptized to the Trinity Bible Chapel staff. Let me quote a little bit at length here from what Pastor Will cited of this man's testimony. He's attended various churches for most of his life, but was never truly born again. He described himself as a whitewashed tomb. He knew all the right things to say and was able to put on a Christian mask when he needed to, but all the while he would indulge in secret sins. He's had a secret pornography addiction for decades and was a drunk. But after attending service a few weeks ago, he felt conviction of sin like he's never felt before and knew that he could no longer remain silent about his sin anymore and finally after all these years came clean with it to his wife and more importantly to his god so he repented of his sins and gave his life to christ he said that he has truly experienced god's forgiveness mercy and grace for the very first time this is the man who attended the church when the ontario government was cracking down on Trinity Bible Chapel for daring to remain open and preach the gospel and preach the word out of, a, out of a motive, out of a conviction that it had to, as much as it possibly could, preach and minister and teach the word to the congregation and, of course, to anyone else who would come. This is a story of grace that traces back to services that have been held in a very dicey time in Canada. But this man, according to this testimony, is now a new man that has finally been set free from his addictions. He and his wife will celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary this year, and he said that for his wife, this is the best gift she could ever have received, a new husband, a new husband. He will be baptized, Lord willing, at our church at the next opportunity. This, according to Pastor Will Sherman, as reported by Pastor Jacob Rayom on the Trinity Bible Chapel blog. You can Google that and find that link. On Sunday, February 27th, as I noted, the church baptized over a dozen people. But here is the clincher. The service that the church held on January 24th, the one that drew so many people and that led to different people requesting baptism from the church, has cost the church $83,000. Suffice it to say that each of the pastors and elders of Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo, Ontario, have been fined heavily. The church, the church, has been uh, ordered as well to pay forty-five thousand dollars to cover legal fees of the Ministry of the Attorney General. And again, the grand total is eighty-three thousand dollars. As you would expect, a GoFundMe page has been set up to cover these costs. If you are hearing this um, in the week uh, after I record it, uh, the week that begins with Monday, March 1st, as uh, I'm sure you are, then you will still have time, I believe, to give to this GoFundMe. And I would encourage you to go to my Twitter. My Twitter account is at O-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. That is at O-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. Don't ask me. It's not my pronunciation. I didn't decide it and yet you can go to that Twitter account and you can find a link to the story of Pastor Jacob Rayom uh, in this instance at Trinity Bible Chapel and then the GoFundMe page. And, uh, and I hope that you can, as able, give to support this church. I pray that Christians will respond in serious force here in love for a gospel-preaching, word-ministering church that is under serious fire unjustly, Right now. And I pray that these legal fees and costs will be covered in full and then some. We talked about a similar church issue just a week ago on City of God. So I'm not going to go through all of the different issues that are in play. I cited, for example, in that discussion of Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Edmonton, who we need to continue to pray for, the Puritan example of John Owen and others who, though they were ordered not to preach to their congregations, not to preach to Christians in the mid-1660s, decided that in a time of plague especially, they had to do so. And so they defied government mandate in order to preach the word and the gospel to needy people, to terrified people, to suicidal people, to people dying of the plague and going to eternity without Christ. Let's just consider this amid all the other matters we do need to sort out. There are different ways that we handle Romans 13, for example, and other passages in difficult times like this. We do want to show charity to fellow Christians, even though we may come to slightly different conclusions. But I'm not trying to handle all that on this podcast today. What I want you to think about briefly with me is this if those puritans had not gone back into london and other environs that were being smashed by the plague and preached the gospel yes to the church of course and ministered grace as god moved through his through his spirit to those people but also preached to unbelievers who i think we can expect will in terrible times Uh, like those characterized by sickness and plague and and governmental chaos, take stock of their life and perhaps, even in what we would say natural terms, we know this is always only going to happen according to God's grace, but in natural terms, think to themselves, maybe I should show up at a church right now. Maybe I should go and hear a preacher talk about everlasting life. I know that my soul is not at rest. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I've done terrible things. These people in question, I don't want to egg the pudding here, are not going to know all the necessary steps of salvation in many cases. They aren't. But they are, at some level, many of them going to think, I I need help. I need something beyond me. These kind of crises are times that are ripe for the ministry of the word and the gospel. People see the truth at some level they see that they have no hope in natural terms they see that their lives are not sorted out they recognize that death knocks on every door and and they are compelled to at least want some of them to attend a religious fellowship we're not meaning in these comments that everybody shows up at some super reformed congregation or great baptist church and then falls on the floor saved, uh, you know, just just as somebody greets them in the foyer or something like this. We don't mean that. We don't want to sentimentalize this, but we do want to just know that there are gospel opportunities before us in times like this. Yes, we use Zoom. Yes, we use online preaching. Uh, we, we preach any chance we get. We try to spread the gospel online, putting our services online these sorts of things. Share the video afterwards. Absolutely, we do all sorts of things in a a digital age in the 21st century, so you don't have to show up in a physical space to be confronted with the gospel, which is actually in different ways a blessing of our media-saturated age. But friends, I just want to take stock here and say nothing is going to replace the local church gathering. If we are thinking in these terms, and it feels to me like a surprising number of fellow Christians are. I want to introduce a discordant note into that thinking. N- not an angry note, not a raging note, but one that is discordant nonetheless. Because Hebrews 25 is still true. We are commanded by Almighty God not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some were doing, according to the author of Hebrews. That applies in the first century when it was written and delivered to the churches, and it applies in the 21st century, just about 2,000 years later. God has instituted the gathering of the local church. It is where the ordinances are observed. It is where the church prays together. It is where songs are sung in joyful worship of God. It is where the saints are bound up and addressed and ministered to, and rebuked, and taught through the preaching, expository theological preaching of the Bible. It is where we gather as one body and testify to one another, to ourselves, to anyone who happens to notice that we are Christians and that the rule and order of God has so claimed us that Yes, we come together with this body of Christians that in a lot of cases we don't have a lot in common with. We're not here ultimately because of common political affiliation or common educational level or common pedigree or common skin color. There may be some commonalities, of course there will be in every church. There may be even some some communal patterns. And yet that's not what we're seeking in our local churches. What we seek in our local churches is the unity of a blood-bought people, a people who confess Christ together and gather to strengthen one another and be strengthened in the grace of God through the ministry of the Word on a weekly basis. And we also welcome unbelievers. Don't you think, when you think of John Owen and Thomas Goodwin and other Puritans in the mid-1660s, don't you think that it was good to reclaim their pulpits, even though the English crown did not want them to do so. and in terms of the Clarendon Code, different acts had basically mandated that they not do so, and many Puritan pulpits had been abandoned. I talked about this previously because I, I tried to indicate that such, such situations really are difficult, and not every Christian responds the same way, and I'm, I'm trying to carve out uh, room for at least different Christians to process these things in different ways nonetheless, when I think back to the example of those who returned to their pulpits in the mid-1660s, I can't help but fail to say that. I am so thankful they did for the sake of their congregation first, and then secondly as well in a very significant way so that unbelievers could come and hear the gospel so that there was the possibility of their being saved. This is not some optional bonus to the life of the church that a few churches out there might, might want to adopt in their ministry. This is what we're in business for. We're, we're here, so to speak, to minister to the flock and strengthen it. And then we are here to gather in as many as, as we can, those who don't know Christ, but for whatever natural reason, come into our church, come into our fellowship. Come amidst our congregation, amidst the body, and hear the word proclaimed. Hear their sin called out. Learn that they're not only not just an, an not not an ideal person, but that the judgment of God hangs over their head, and that they will surely drink the cup of God's wrath for all eternity if they do not claim Christ as the one who has drunk it for them. and then they go on to hear this amazing news that because of that act, the cross, and then the resurrection which followed, every single deed they have ever done, every sin they have committed, every evil thought, every pornographic search, every vile thing, thought, spoken, acted out, all of it, all of it, a life of sin, even if they've lived a respectable life, a life not lived to God's glory. That in itself, for one minute, is enough to damn any one of us, does damn any one of us for all eternity because the holiness and the greatness of God is so great that He deserves surpassing whole body, whole soul worship at every instant, every second of our lives. That is what He is owed. It's not what we give Him as a gift. It's what He is owed he deserves. That is true justice. True justice in the cosmos is not that our lives actually would be made right in every particular. It is that God would be worshiped. That is justice. None of us gives God his due. We all commit to the greatest injustice in the cosmos, not worshiping God, not glorifying God. And when unbelievers come into our fellowship, they hear this news. Here again, let's not sentimentalize this. A good number of them will turn away. Even though they should respond to the gospel in repentance and faith, many will not, but some will. The man who wrote Pastor Will Sherman at Trinity Bible Chapel was one such man. He was awakened by the preaching of the Word of God. We want to be careful with viruses, illnesses, We want to try to create conditions where if there is a need, for example, for someone to be a little bit uh, apart from the gathered body on Sundays, that they have those kind of provisions. We want to be as wise as we possibly can. We are not those who seek to thumb our nose at at the government any chance we get. That is not fundamentally an honorable Christian Posture. That's not what I'm commending, and that is not what I hear Trinity Bible Chapel, Chapel commending, Jacob Rayome commending, James Coates at Grace Life Edmonton commending, John MacArthur and the Elders of Grace Community Church urging. I haven't heard anybody saying that in at least established Baptist, Reformed, evangelical life. But here's what I do hear I hear pastors who are desperate to minister Christ to preach the word to their people. Not just because they enjoy it. They do enjoy it. But because they know the people need it. As a starving, dying man needs water and bread in a desert after a week without those things. They know that the sheep need it. And then they know that there are unbelievers who are considering eternity and are without hope. Friends, if they don't have anywhere to go to hear the gospel, they will die and go to hell for all eternity, just as any one of us would if the grace of God had not reached us, just as any of us would if there hadn't been churches open to preach the gospel to us. What a privilege we have had. We have enjoyed that privilege. Can we withhold that from others? Can we not fail? to preach the gospel every chance we get because others have preached the gospel to us. Pastors worked hard to minister the truth. And then beyond even the local church itself, different organizations and and ministries and radio shows and books and video ministries and online series and podcasts and on and on it goes. Friends, uh, individual contacts, relatives, neighbors, We could keep going at length. Someone out there, something out there communicated Christ to us and did not fail to do so. And so we, in God's kindness, in the economy of salvation, in our little distinct way, came to know Christ. How can we fail to offer that same opportunity to everyone we can? There are extreme circumstances that the church will face in this life that require hard decisions and that present us with real gray areas. But there is data in, on COVID-19 that I believe shows us that while it is a real thing and while it has led to the, the deaths of a good number of people in America, in the West, around the world— Nonetheless, the huge majority of people, even who contract it, will survive. We don't mean that they will survive with no consequences. We're, we're not Pollyanna-ish about this. And yet, I believe that when we evaluate the situation on the ground, I'm not an epidemiologist or a doctor, but when I look at these, these sort of statistics, I believe that we are out of that mode now where we should lock our door and not preach the word. And so, as I have articulated previously and now repeat myself, I believe it is right that Jacob Rayom and Trinity Bible Chapel has remained open. And we are seeing people come to faith in churches like this, the same is taking place at Grace Life Edmonton, the same is taking place at Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, California. And, and these, aren't just, these aren't all-star churches. They're, they're happening in churches near you, these kind of circumstances. Salvation, people waking up, God moving in lives. This is happening all around us. Yes, friends, there is a tremendous amount of material out there that will discourage you in real terms, just discouragement. But there are so many reasons to be encouraged in God in our time. God is saving. God is regenerating. God is awakening. God is strengthening His people. God is building us up. God is preparing us for the new heavens and new earth. We cannot fail to preach the Word. We cannot fail to minister the Gospel. And we must stand with our brothers who are under fire for doing so. I encourage you again. To search out Trinity Bible Chapel, one place you can do so is through my Twitter account, exciting as it is, at OSTRACHAN. You can also simply Google the name and you'll get different materials there. In closing, I'm reminded of that quotation I gave you just a few minutes ago at the beginning of this humble little podcast. If you hadn't opened the church in January, I don't think I would have been saved. I don't think I would have been saved. And then I'm reminded of this line as well. Thank you for allowing this church to remain open so that you could save me. God is saving sinners. Will we remain open? There is a price to pay for doing so. But if you hadn't opened that church in January, I don't think I would have been saved. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the Center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.